I've also had a lot of moments where I felt very empty or devoid of worth. Um, even like feeling really hardcore sim- um, imposter syndrome where like, I don't deserve to be here. Or, like, what did I really do kind of thing. And I think that also bleeds into the competence thing. Um, yeah, there are just moments where I think like, I'm not good enough or I'm not doing enough or like, I don't, I'm not contributing enough. Welcome to Our Faith Journey, a podcast that focuses on how to find joy and purpose in an abundant relationship with Christ. My name is Joe Chang, and I've noticed that most Christians today struggle to develop a personal connection with God. This podcast will share practical ways on how to foster a relationship with Christ so that you can experience lasting joy. Some of you have probably noticed off the bat that my audio sounds different. That's because one of my equipment, my audio interface is currently experiencing some technical difficulties. So uh, that's getting prepared. I'm really praying and hope that that's back and up and running so I can get you some good audio recordings. Anyways, welcome to the 19th episode of the show and the sixth part of the Enneagram series. Hey, it's been just such a blessing and joy to finally release this series to all of you. The Enneagram has been just such a joy to learn about in my faith journey. And the crazy thing is that I just still feel like an Enneagram beginner. It's honestly like a black hole of knowledge. So if you're thinking, man, there's just so much to learn, you're not alone. And I'm telling this advice to myself as well. I just encourage you to let go of the desire to master the Enneagram. Instead, allow it to be a tool that helps you better understand yourself and how you can grow closer to God. So yes, so excited as we continue to learn about the Enneagram. Hey, by the way, if you haven't listened to the intro to the Enneagram episode, you know the drill. Go listen to that episode first so that you get a grasp of what the Enneagram is all about. There's a link in the show notes that will go to my website that has a step-by-step instructions on how to find your Enneagram number. And hey, sometimes it takes a while to find your Enneagram number. Actually, I read a book about uh, this one guy who wrote a book on the Enneagram. He took like seven, eight months. So That's completely normal. This journey takes a while of self-awareness. So if you want some advice, feel free to message me on my social media platforms. Well, anyways, I'm so excited to dive into the next Enneagram number of the series, Type 5. On this episode, I bring on my friend, Michelle Leong, to share about her life through the lens of a Type 5. Some interesting topics we cover include how she processes and views the world, her fears of incompetency, and how she's grown in her ability to embrace who she is. So, without further ado, here's my conversation with Michelle Leon. All right, so today we are talking about the Enneagram Type 5 as we continue our series on the Enneagram. I'm super, super, super excited because we have on the show Michelle Leong. Say hi to the folks. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks she- for having me. I'm really excited. She's very comfortable right now. Super not, but <laughs> thanks for calling me out when no one can tell. But now exactly. they can. I got you. Yeah. So uh, before we uh, dive into the Enneagram, can you just share us a little bit more about yourself, uh, where you're from, what you're doing right now? Um, I'm Michelle. Uh, <laughs> I like... Uh, <laughs> um, I know Gerald because we went to La Serie University together. Yeah. I am a psychology major. We graduated together this past June, which is super exciting. Um, 
I am a Bay Area girl. I was born and raised in San Jose, California. Um, we just recently moved, but I will still always be a San Jose girl at heart. Um, I like thinking and reading and singing. Okay, honestly, saying thinking as my number one favorite thing to do is probably the most five thing I could have said. So good. I'm here for a reason. Thank We're, you for playing into the stereotype. Yeah. <laughs> Off to a good start already. Yeah, no, I was super excited when you said that you were having the podcast. I was, I like kind of, n not new, but I was like, I wonder if I'm going to hear from Gerald. Because you said that you were going to interview people who had different numbers. And I knew that like, because you're always telling me like, oh, I'm so glad I have a five like you in my life. And I was like, hmm, <laughs> I wonder if Gerald's going to reach out. Um, and I'm really glad you did. I didn't expect it. Oh, I didn't expect it. But I kind of hoped because podcasts are awesome. And I thought it would be fun to have that dialogue with you. So. Yay. Yes, I am excited too. So let's talk about the Enneagram. Um, people have a lot of different experiences before and after. So can mm -hmm. you just describe to me your initial thoughts when you heard about the Enneagram and then how do you see it now? I think the best part is that um, I think our first experience with the Enneagram was actually together. My first, I don't know if you remember this, Interesting. but my, the this. first time I heard about the Enneagram is when we were at lunch together. It was you, me, Andrew, Patty, and Aaron. No way. It was us. It okay. was the five of us. Do you remember that? And I remember I you were sitting on my right. Um, Patty was, no, no, no. No, yeah. You were on my right. Patty was on my left. And across from me was Andrew. And then Aaron was sitting on his right. We were sitting in the booth. La Sierra, Caf, uh, yeah. Last year at cafeteria. I don't know if you remember this, um, but my do you, should I go into the story? Just go for it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Andrew was sitting directly across from me, and he and I were talking and had leaned forward a little bit. And so behind my back, <laughs> behind my back, you and Patty were talking behind my back, um, and you guys were having a conversation. And then Andrew and I were kind of talking. And as this was happening, I was very aware that like two conversations were happening right now uh, at the same time. And as this is happening, Andrew is looking at me and nodding. And then he cuts me off and he's like, wait, I just want to point out, it's really interesting that we, you know, like there are two conversations happening at the same time right now. And I just stared at him because that's a very me thing to think, but more specifically a very metacognizant thing to think. Yeah, here we go, metacognizant. <laughs> yep, exactly. And this is how it all began. And when he said that, I stared at him and I was like, Andrew, are you like a metacognizant person? And he said, yes. I don't know what that means, but yes. And then I got into the whole conversation. And this is the first time you had heard that about me too. I remember, right, I remember you that. like sitting there and looking at me. With the Enneagram mm -hmm. thing. And that's how and that's how it all began. Because he said, Do you know what the Enneagram is? Because I think you're a five. And it was because of that conversation with metacognizance. Oh. And you were there for it. Wow. Yeah. And so my first impression and experience with Enneagram was super intrigued because I think metacognition, being aware of your own thoughts, is interesting in general. And so to hear that there is some sort of system out there that incorporates that in a personality yeah. and the fact that I could identify with that and like know that there are others like me, like that's not abnormal was really cool. And I was just really intrigued. The way that Andrew explained it was very thorough and very interesting. And that was when he said, I have a book that I want you to read. The Richard Rohr book. Mm -hmm. Yep, Christian Perspective on the Enneagram. Yeah. And so he gave me the that book and I read it over Christmas break. 
And he sent me a podcast done by liturgists when they featured Michael Gunger, who was also a five. Yes, yeah. Very interesting. And then he tried to give the book to you and you didn't read it. <laughs> and now here we are three years later and you're making a podcast about it. I had to call you out at least once. You know, you know it's I always totally make fun fine. of you. Can I, can I just explain myself? Yeah, go for it. Go for I it. don't know if I've described this earlier, but <laughs> basically when I looked at the book, it looked like a cult symbol and I was oh like, my goodness. what is this? Is thing? that That's, really why? Well, but okay. But the real reason was I took the test because I was like, I don't want to read a book because <laughs> it's going to take too much time. Oh, how the yeah. times have changed. And, but, um, what is it called? So I took the test and I got a type three personality and I read it and it was like, the basic description was very raw and very like, oh, performance seeker, like stage, you know, wants to get everyone. I was like, dang, this is so savage. And then I just never touched it again. <laughs> it was too close to the truth and you just couldn't handle it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, you told me that. You were the one who told me that. You I said did. you weren't ready at that time, but now you are. And that's why you love it, which is like cool. It's yeah. awesome. It, yeah, I wasn't ready for it. So I'm glad I am. Kind of now. Oh, you totally are. I mean, if you're diving into it as much as you are to the point that you're making a podcast about it, I'd say you're you're good. You're golden. Thank you, Michelle. <laughs> I love your affirmations. So um, speaking of the Enneagram, we're going to talk about the Enneagram type five. And this type is often known as the investigator or the observer. So uh, just a recap, if you're wondering if you or someone you know is a type five, we start by looking at their base desire and fear. And so for the five, the base desire is to observe and gather knowledge about the world around you. So in other words, your basic desire is the need to perceive. Mm -hmm. Can you share some stories about how your need to perceive shapes your personality and motivations? I think, I think this started pretty early on. And when, yeah, I'm trying to think about it, how it shaped my personality. From the very beginning, I was always, I, I'm all over the place, sorry. From the very beginning, I think my natural inclination was to watch and observe to the point where like, it was very noticeable, especially having my older sister, Sarah. Um, my mom would watch the two of us as we grew up and see how we were similar and yeah. how we were different. And there's one instance that I remember, and it's still like this to this day, um, where I think maybe she was in fifth grade, I was in third or she was in sixth and I was in fourth. But we went to like this basketball tryout kind of thing um, at the elementary school that we were kind of involved with. I don't know if it was tryout or like some scrimmage or something, but they were doing um, like, what's it called? Why can't I think of it? Like uh, exercise of warmups, you know, when they have like the whole like fast feet kind of thing and you like kind of, there's like a ladder and you kind of step in and out of it or whatever. And all these um, drills. Oh, my word. Yeah, that's the word. Drills. All these different drills for basketball. And my sister just jumped right in because like that's who she is. She'll just like jump in the fray. But what I did is I stood to the side and I watched for mm. like a few minutes. I think you told me the story. Yeah. I think I did. Yeah. So like my sister's the kind of person who like she's unafraid she'll just jump in try and fail and try and fail and try and then she'll just like keep going you know um and that like that's a normal thing to do you're always going to fail at what you do but for me I mean you're not always going to fail <laughs> stop that didn't come out right I'm laughing because I hate <laughs> failure and I'm a three yeah, sorry continue yeah no I mean like yeah you're not going to be perfect at everything you do 
But for me, I think very early on, I underst- I didn't like failing either. I mean, no one really does. But I think I, I found a way that I could fail a little bit less. Yeah. And so in that basketball drills, my sister jumped in, tried, tripped up, kept going. But for me, I stopped and I watched. And after a few minutes, I went in there and then I did it. And yeah. I like didn't mess up because I had sat back, took my time, observed, got used to it, like looked at the movements, practiced it on my own, on my own, like in my own head or like little body movements. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and that was, yeah, like when I was what, seven, eight, I'm not really sure. And like, I'm still like that today. And my sister's still like that today. Um, to the point, my, my mom actually even told your mom about it when we were in Fiji together. And there was like that rope swing thing. Oh my goodness. And the parents were like on the beach and we were all standing there on the podium. And my mom leaned over to your mom and she said, watch, like this is who my two daughters are. Sarah's going to be the first one to go or like one of the first. And Michelle's going to be the last because she's going to sit back and watch how the other people do it. And then she's going to go last. And that's exactly what happened. Like, I don't know if you were first, sister. She's sitting right next to She's sitting right next to me, which is why I said that. Um, I don't know if she was first. But she definitely wasn't the last. And it was me who was the last. So, like, I'm still like that. That was three years ago. And I'm still like that today. But, yeah. yeah, So that really, um, that need to perceive and understand and get that knowledge before I start things, that really affected my personality in terms of, like, seeming, I don't know, like, reserved when I was a kid. Mm. Because I just liked to watch and see what was happening around me and, like, take that all in so that I wasn't, like, blindsided when I tried something. And, like, I, I guess I'm still like that today yeah can i add to that yeah go for it <laughs> go just for it tiny, come come just, just, a, just a tiny addition to the story at even at an even younger age um my family went to an ice skating rink i think michelle was like three or four and i was like five or six i don't remember this and mom mom told me this story but i also somewhat remember going to the ice skating rink i went out there right away and you know ice skating is not easy so i was tripping falling landing on my butt, on my knees, on my hands, and not doing well. And Michelle, was, she didn't even put her shoes on yet. And she's just watching me trip up and fall. And then after like five, ten minutes, she straps on her ice skates and goes out there and she didn't fall once that entire time. Oh my Really? Goodness. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. Huh. So even at a younger age, that was Michelle. Maybe I was just an ice skating prodigy and I missed my calling this whole time. Oh my, Michelle. <laughs> so not Michelle Kwan, Michelle Leong. Yes, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there we go. Michelle with one L, everybody. Uh, yes. Um, so a small side note on your story of the, the swing, the swing. what I remember. <laughs> so I'm just going to describe the image for you guys. Oh, you guys can't see it. Oh, no. So basically the rope is connected to a, like a slanting palm tree. Right. And so what you're supposed to do is when you re- go to the end of the swing, you jump off and you land into the ocean. Yeah, but I was right on the bank, right on the bank of the beach. I was. I don't know what I was thinking. I don't know what you're thinking you either, like, man. Like I was a I little nervous. And then so I just <laughs> wanted to swing back and I was like, maybe I'll go again another <laughs> swing. <laughs> I face planted straight to the beach. Oh my word. And it was like an audible slap. It was like, it was a oh my snack. word. I, oh man. Because like, the tide had receded. And so it was just full on sand. Yeah. And he, you <laughs> swung sand. back and then you release at the optimal worst moment. And then you just hear. <laughs> and 
Oh my god, I like had to look away. Oh, I had to look away. I can see the picture so clear in my mind right now. See, this is what Michelle didn't do because she perceived exactly and saw the flop and failure that I did. <laughs> yes, it was quite funny. Yes, um, very much. So. Yeah, I I think that's so interesting characteristics of fives. Um, and I also I remembered one thing that you mentioned to me that I found I didn't understand. Remember? Can you just share a little bit about like people watching? Oh, so fun. So interesting. I went to Universal Studios with my sister and our friends on Sunday. And long lines do not bother me whatsoever. Oh my because goodness. people watching is so fun. I remember, yeah, we were sitting on a bench together. And where were we? Were we on campus? I don't know. I don't know. really remember. But like, I think you maybe were a little bored or like getting antsy. And As like, usual. And I was just... I was having the time of my life just watching people. People watching is so interesting because, like, those are humans. And they're, like, walking around and they're doing their thing and they're living their lives. And I don't know. Like, where are you going? Like, what are you thinking? What's your destination? Like, how is your day so far that these people who are walking by and, like, you can notice a lot of things, like, about if they're wearing, like, jewelry or if their clothes are new or, like, looking at their styles. Styles can say a lot about people. Yeah. And it's, like, there's so many humans in this world and we're confined to knowing very few of them. Mm. And when you're people watching, that is the moment where you can see the most of the more of more people than you've ever known. Yeah. And, like, you'll never really know them. But in that moment when you're seeing them, you know them. And then they're gone and you might not ever see them again. And that's, like, beautiful. And I feel like we miss on that opportunity constantly. Mm, and mm. it's just a good reminder to know, like, we aren't the only people in this world. And, like, the people in our world aren't the only ones that matter. Like, everyone else matters, too. And it's just nice to stop and look at them and, like, look them in the eye as they're going by. Mm. And, like, I do this thing, which is a very metacognizant thing to do and a very five thing to do, I think. Um, Can you explain metacognizance Yeah, I fast? probably should. I'm probably going to say it a lot because it it's going to seep into this conversation a lot. Basically, metacognition, it's a psychology thing, developmental psychology. And I heard about it before I became a psych major. Metacognition is actually the thing that got me to be interested in psychology. Basically, the rough definition is being aware of one's own thoughts. So if cognition, uh, being cognizant is, I know that I exist. Meta, the prefix meta means about. You've heard that term, you know, in like movies or something when they yeah. break the fourth wall and they're like, oh, that's so meta or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, prefix about metacognition, about cognition. Mm -hmm. Cognition is I know that I exist. Metacognition is I know that I know that I exist, which sounds super extra because it is, but <laughs> that's, that's basically what it is. And so my whole life I've lived constantly in my thoughts and aware of thinking. Mm. And so like when most people like they make a choice and then they make a choice. But for me, I think about like, choosing to make a choice and then choosing to choose to make a choice, you know, like deciding yeah. to decide. Yeah. And it's just that little extra step. And that's how it is my, in my head constantly, just constant awareness, constant thoughts and being aware of the thoughts. Oh, it's exhausting, but it's so interesting hmm. because, because of it, fives are very objective. Um, yeah. That's a known trait about them. And being metacognizant, being able to be aware and take a step back within yourself, mm. that heightens that objectivity, at least in me. I think that's what most fives experiences are. And yeah. like everyone's metacognizant. Everyone can be objective. Um, but some people live in it a little bit more. <laughs> and mm -hmm, I think mm -hmm. I like I can't escape it. Um, 
But yeah, using that metacognition, when you can take a step back from yourself, that's what makes people watching so fun. Because for me, especially I'll do it when I'm like walking down the street and you're walking by strangers. And as I'm walking by them, I will switch perspectives and I, I will see them see me walking by them. Yeah. Instead of me seeing them or like when I'm in a car and I see pedestrians walking down the street, like I switch that I'm not looking at them. I'm like seeing what they're seeing as they're walking by the shops and looking at the window or like yeah. looking at the cars going by. And it's so interesting to see yourself from another person's perspective. And mm. I think we had a conversation about that, like how sometimes I have memories from like a different camera angle. Do you remember that? We yep, were like yep, getting yep. dinner with JJ. Well, we're always like, where's Michelle seeing this conversation tonight? Yeah, exactly. Like I will be sitting with a group of people and like I have my perspective of like literally my eyes of what I can see and my like, yeah, my vision. Um, and then I will switch to maybe the other person's um, perspective. Like you looking at me right now, like right now I'm looking at you behind your, uh, behind your mic with the orange background. But for me, you're looking at me with a blue couch and my like, pigtail braids that make me look 12 you know like and that's like the image <laughs> that you're seeing of me or like sometimes I'll pop up to a bird's eye view to us like like looking at like down at us and it's so interesting and it's like literally an out-of-body experience sometimes but it's just good to literally put things in a different perspective and it's just kind of nice because it's kind of like when you're in an airplane and you look down at the world and you realize how small you are it's kind mm -hmm. of like that. And it's nice to get outside of the constant me, me, me of what's in my own brain and mm -hmm. seeing what's in maybe someone else's brain mm -hmm. or rather their eyes. And yeah. I think that's cool. And that's what makes people watching so interesting to me because it's it can be dizzying sometimes if like I flash by to other people's perspectives too fast. But um, yeah. yeah, it's a nice break from life and it really is sobering, I mm. think. Basically, what you just said is that fives can view things at all those GoPro angles. So. <laughs> yes, Thank exactly. You very much. But yes. I think it's super cool. Um, like you said, fives bring objectivity into the picture and they're mm -hmm. able to detach um, from situations emotionally, which is a really valuable trait. So, can be, yes. Yes. There, there, there's a strength and weakness, which we'll get Absolutely, to later. Yes. But if you're looking for objective advice, find a five. Five, oh my goodness, find a five friend. Yeah, and that literally happened when in the car ride over here. Like, yeah. you're like, yeah, I want your opinion, your objective opinion. I'm like, oh, that's perfect. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> Thank you, Michelle. All right. <laughs> so anyways, let's kind of dive now into the fear of the five. And they Ooh. phrase it as the fear of emptiness. It's so interesting for me to learn because the fives I know are so full of knowledge about all sorts of random facts yeah, and dude. things. Stupid stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, fives fear that they are empty of worth, competency, and value, or they think that what they think is stupid, yeah. aka what Michelle just said. No, so, it's true. <laughs> can you just share some insight with our listeners about the internal battles you have with the fear of emptiness? Mm -hmm. I think this is really interesting. For me, I resonate super strongly with the competence thing constantly. That one for sure. Yeah. The worth, um, I think everyone struggles with that in general. Um, maybe, I don't know. Maybe that's like, yeah, it's like a fair assumption. Um, but I know in my, in my personal experience, uh, I definitely have, um, encountered that whole thing with worth. And I don't know if that's because I'm a five or just because of my history. Yeah. Um, and that feeling of emptiness of worth, I think 
I've had a lot of really great relationships in my life. And when I say relationships, again, not just romantic, just like friendships and, you know, all that stuff. And I've felt very full and felt very loved and uh, worthy. And it's always, I mean, it's also not just like relationships. It's also accomplishments and like um, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But for the worth, I've also had a lot of moments where I felt very empty or devoid of worth. Um, even like feeling really hardcore sim- um, imposter syndrome where like I don't deserve to be here or, like what did I really do kind of thing and I think that also bleeds into the competence thing um, yeah there are just moments where I think like I'm not good enough or I'm not doing enough or like I don't I'm not contributing enough that's the biggest thing of like what I can contribute and that is a lot of competence for me yeah. and like being a five people like there's a there's a perception that you have for each each number you know like a little box that you can put them in sometimes yeah and especially me being a psych major um people always say i'll say something that's very objective or like i don't know intellectual or something and they'll be like oh it's because you're a psych major it's like no i'm a psych major because i think like this you know like i'm I'm not like this because i'm a psych major i pursued psychology because i had a natural inclination and like Mm -hmm. interest for it Mm -hmm. and i feel like it's frustrating sometimes because people will box me into like oh it's like she thinks so much and so like she can she can handle this or whatever i don't i don't really know how to explain it um well, I guess I do kind of know. <laughs> uh, but with a competence thing, um, because of that, there's an assumption that a five is smart because yeah. they're in their heads a lot. Yeah, yeah. And I have so many moments where like, am I a five? Like, am I worthy enough to be a five? Like, am I smart enough to be a five? Hmm. Because people think fives are smart and I don't think I'm like, am I? Yeah, I can think of so many other people that I think are more quote unquote worthy fives because they're smarter, more intellectual than me. And that's like, maybe that's like a super five thing to think because the emptiness of competence that like, I don't even think I'm competent in the thing that is supposedly like the foundation. Yeah. yeah, Inherent and implicit in me. Um, Yeah. Intrinsic. That's the word I meant. Um, And so that fear of, not being competent for me personally, it comes a lot with, um, competence with my brain because you talk to so many people or I've talked to people and it's like, Oh, what is Michelle known for thinking? And it's like, Uh, that's scary. Yeah. I like completely resonate, but because of it, people think I'm a lot smarter than I actually am. Mm. And it makes it hard because there's all these great expectations where people will build. Yeah, like, oh, yeah, like, Michelle's super bright. Michelle's really intelligent. Michelle's, like, quite the intellectual, which are not horrible things, you know, like, mm-hmm. to be said about you. Like, I appreciate it. But then I'm terrified because I'm scared that I won't live up to it. Yeah. Um, Like, there's that line in Hamilton where it's like, why do you assume you're the smartest in the room? Great line. The thing is you think that all fives are going to be smart and they will be the smartest in the room. But I don't assume I'm the smartest in the room. In fact, I know I'm not. <laughs> like, I know that, like, I'm, I'm a stupid. Like, everyone else is smarter than I am. Interesting. And I, I love that. And I think that also comes and plays into the thing of um, fives that they want to observe and 
observe and gain that knowledge because of that fear of incompetence. Mm -hmm. And they're trying to get the knowledge so that they can become competent, whether it's competent in knowing things alone, like just knowing things alone, not just like the things that they know, but just the fact that they know things. Yeah. Um, And it's just like, I am constantly, that's also a motivation when you're talking about what, how that turns into like my personality or motivation, Mm -hmm. that motivation to know things is, so that I can become competent, not to become the smartest person in the room, because I know I will never be, mm. but just so that I feel like I deserve to be in rooms with people who are smart and that I can hang and I can hold my own. Because that's a constant fear that like, I'm not as smart as people think I am mm. and assume I am. And people will say things and be like, oh, I don't need to explain that to you, you already know. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I totally know. And yeah. sometimes I do and sometimes I don't. Mm. And it's also frustrating because I feel like people will say things um, and like they'll have like a a second meaning, like a double meaning. You know, like the things we say, there are like layers to it sometimes. Mm -hmm. And sometimes people will say things to me and like they'll say the surface thing. But the message that they're really trying to give me is like three layers deep. Yeah. And they know I'll figure it out. And like, yeah, you're right. I will figure out. Sometimes I won't. But like. Sometimes I will. And it's so frustrating because they just They assume, think you will. They think I will. And it's yeah. like, yeah, maybe I will. I like, I probably will if I know you really well, you know, and there's that history. I can figure out like what you're really trying to say. But then it's like, stop assuming and just like leaving it to me. Like, oh, Michelle's smart enough. She'll figure out. And it's like, why don't you just say what you mean? <laughs> like, just give it to me straight. And you don't, we don't need the coded language of like, I don't know, just like, yeah, like I can see what you're trying to get at and just like tell me. Instead of leaving it to me to figure out. Because that's just lazy on your part. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Like, yeah. I don't want to have to be the one to put in all the effort. Like, I can. Or you can just say what you mean. And I run into that constantly. And it's really frustrating. How do we get here? Sorry, I went on a tangent. No, it's fine. Just talk straight um, to fives, please. Yeah. <laughs> please and thank you. I don't know. Um, We're talking about yeah. the fear of emptiness. Yeah, basically. fear of emptiness and competence. And I think that's the biggest thing. Is that, yeah, I in those kind of things, like... I probably will figure out what you mean, but I'm always afraid that I won't. Mm. And someday you're going to try to tell me something really important and I'm not going to get it. I'm not going to figure it out. And that will be my fault. Yeah. And that's that's frustrating. It's mm. always constantly, I constantly feel like I am having to live up to this expectation that I'm smart. And it's, mm. it could be the simplest things of like a strategy game or an escape room or, yeah. you know, stuff like that. Like, oh, Michelle's really smart. She'll figure this out. And it's like, I'm not a genius. You know, <laughs> like I, I like to think, I think that's fun. That doesn't mean that like yeah. I'm have the highest IQ in the world, you know, like it, it doesn't mean anything. And like, I'm trying just as hard as you guys, if not harder, because mm. I have to live up to that expectation. So yeah, that, and again, the worth comes from that competence, it feels like sometimes. Mm. Um, So those two things, at least for me personally, they interact of being a fear of mine. For sure. Um, Basically, people do not place high expectations on five. (laughs) Or on anybody, please. (laughs) I think you're smarter than you think you are. Okay. Anyways, let's continue and let's talk about the childhood, childhood wound of the five and just a reminder the childhood wound of each number may be something that your parents may or may not have intended to inflict but these wounds are experiences that have hurt you and in turn you have developed coping strategies in reaction to these wounds 
So I'm quoting from Ian Morgan Cron. He wrote a book called The Road Back to You. And he basically said that fives hear the message, you're not capable of handling the demands of life and relationships. To survive, you'll need to emotionally detach and hide. So Michelle, can you relate to this wound? And if so, how has that message impacted your life? Um, well, the capability thing also is like kind of similar language as competence. Yeah. Um, capable for life and relationships. I personally, I feel the life one, but when it comes to relationships, I've been really lucky to have really good relationships and examples of relationships in my life. Yeah. Like I've had really good relationships with my parents and my sister and just like friends. There's also been like relationships that have gone sour, but I mean, I think those are inevitable in this world. Um, but the need to detach that mostly came from, yeah, those soured relationships that went wrong. Cause like, yeah, I remember there was a period in my life where I kind of lost all my friends and it wasn't because like there was a huge falling out. It was just kind of that they like forgot about me. <laughs> um, yeah. It, and it was hard because it was at the time where I really needed them more than ever because it was when I was going to college um, when I graduated high school early and then I went to college and it was like, I'm like really small and young. And like, I just um, came out being homeschooled and now I'm 16 in college and I super need the moral support. Mm. And at that point, like my friends just kind of stopped reaching out. And more than that, they stopped reaching back because I would constantly initiate. And I just looked back at all these people who weren't talking to me anymore. And I didn't understand why. And then I realized that when I looked at it, like the way I saw it was that I was the common denominator and there's something wrong with mm. me. And so in order to protect myself, like I knew that I was capable of having good relationships and yet it was failing and I didn't understand why. And so I had to detach myself from those relationships and that's just those emotions that came with it to protect myself Yeah, because like they were gone. And if I cared about them, it would hurt. And that year and a half in college was like the loneliest year and a half of my life. Like I still remember to this day, I had like one friend left (laughs) and like Mm. my parents and my sister. But um, I mean, family's awesome, but sometimes you, especially after you lose all your friends, you want to know that one person out there loves you that doesn't have to because you say, have the same DNA, you know, kind of thing. Um, and so, yeah, I just had, I learned to just kind of not emote and not Hmm. feel those things very vividly. I remember there's a period in my life where I was telling a couple of close friends that I still kind of talk to that, like, I didn't feel things very vividly anymore. And I just felt numb to everything. And I think a lot of that was because I had to recede away from my heart and further into my brain because yeah. that was the only way I could really protect myself. And thank God I grew out of that. Um, I uh, I can feel things vividly now, kind of sometimes. <laughs> um, That's good. Yeah. And um, I've learned not, I've learned to detach. I think we all need to detach at some point in our lives. You know, there comes a time where um, you need to be healthy without someone and they need to be healthy without you. And it's good to have that independence and that just 
distance um, emotionally. Yeah. And so like I will detach in a healthy way in that like when you're in front of me, I love you and like it's great and it's fantastic. And when we're apart, I still love you, but I don't necessarily need to depend as much um, on you for my worth and my value and like all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And so that detached feeling that I get, it's more of, I, I don't really view it as detached anymore. It's just not attached I don't know I don't know, <laughs> I don't know how I to explain it thing. yeah I don't know it's just like uh, I'm not expressing myself very well okay I think the word detached is not it could be seen as a negative word yeah it kind of feels like dissociating but sometimes. it's it's not it's it's a blessing and a curse mm -hmm. for fives right yeah so like we said fives can detach objectively mm -hmm. helpful uh, the problem is if fives detach all the time and they're gone yeah. in your head so you know I don't think we should take that word and say that's a bad thing. I yeah. think that's a gift if used properly by fives. Yeah. I think that's the main thing that I just didn't like the language of detached, which is why I said not attached, which is a little stupid. But yeah, I that's a good articulation. And I, I resonate with that for sure. Because, and I think the biggest thing is that like, I don't detach from my emotions anymore. Because mm. that's definitely what I did back then. Because if I don't feel things, I can't feel hurt. I can't feel pain. Yeah. Um, and so I've learned to detach from experiences and moments mm. um, but not necessarily my feelings and emotions that's a big move for fives by the way guys because <laughs> fives tend to detach from their emotions to process mm -hmm. so yeah. i mean i'll still do that sometimes just because i think about them yeah. like the moment that i try not to be aware of my emotions is a moment that i'm the most aware of them like 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 when i cry like I stop crying really easily sometimes because I'll be like, I'm crying and I'm like aware of like why I'm like, I'm sad right now and I'm crying. Like liquid is coming out of my eyeballs because I'm sad and I'm crying. And then when you're thinking like that, it's kind of hard to keep crying. That doesn't mean I'm not sad. Are you laughing? Oh my word. <laughs> it's funny because you think about your feelings, <laughs> exactly. right? That's how you process. Exactly. That doesn't mean I'm not feeling things. Yeah, that doesn't yeah. mean I'm not still sad, but like, and I feel like fives get a bit bad rap because of that. They're like, oh, they're, they don't really feel things. It's like, no, I'm definitely feeling things. I'm just thinking my way through these feelings. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's perfectly fine. Mm -hmm. And I had to allow myself that. Yeah. I had to let myself be okay. Like, yeah, this is how I feel things. And like having people who are such heart people in my life and who feel things vividly mm. and just feel them. And then when I would say what I was thinking about feeling, they're like, wait, what? And then I was like, I'm aware, like there's something wrong with me. No, there's not. Like yeah. everyone out there, if you think through your feelings, that's perfectly normal. Like it's okay. Um, it sucks sometimes because you kind of like are watching yourself feel things, but that's just how it is sometimes. And like, that doesn't mean your feelings are any less valid or you're feeling them any less. Yeah. Like they're still there. You're just looking at them. I don't know. Yeah. And I kind of want to add on that. I think it the caveat of that is that if you can't think your way through them, and so sometimes it's important to just feel the feeling and then think. Like for mm -hmm. me, I'm a feeler, right? I'm a three. And the journey for me has been learning to think about them, mm -hmm. right? But then there's also the journey of just feeling it and being in the moment, which mm -hmm. is scary, but I think is healthy. So... Just wanted to add a little bit of that. Yeah, totally. Um, so this is going to be an interesting one. We're going to talk now about the deadly sin of the type five. And uh, 
Enneagram scholars use the word greediness or avarice. Avarice, avarice right? Avarice. And so when we think of the word avarice or greed, right, we think about money or things, but that's not what is the struggle for five, right? Mm -hmm. The five. Uh, greed is basically the desire to retain the barest essentials so that they can live a self-sufficient existence. So uh, can you help our listeners understand the five's tendency toward avarice and how have you personally fought it? So the thing is, have I fought it? Um, <laughs> in the sense, like, I, I so I'm, I'm going to turn this to you. Do you think that, and I'm not saying that I'm not, yeah, yeah, yeah. but I'm just asking you, because, you know, like what you are in your number and like the things it says about you, it doesn't, that's not, you don't have to fit that perfectly. Right. You know, there's some things that just aren't going to connect. Yeah. Um, and so I'm going to ask you, do you think, how do you perceive me? to be someone who struggles with greediness. And you can be honest, like it's totally chill. Like I'm yeah. genuinely curious because how other people see you says a lot more about what you say about yourself sometimes. Like you're actually being objective, you yeah. know? You know, for you in particular, I think, and I didn't really see that because when I met you, you were definitely more open to sharing about yourself, which I think is a healthy thing. At the same time, you knew how to listen to and so you knew that you could hold back and so like basically our relationship for you guys don't know like i talked a lot and michelle listened so <laughs> just that's a summary um and so you can hold back i can see that you can lean into that but i think you've also moved into being okay but you mentioned to me right so you open and then then you want to withdraw afterward mm -hmm. which is interesting because i I don't think I've heard that from a lot of fives. Mm -hmm. I think fives tend to withdraw first mm -hmm. and then slowly open. But mm -hmm. for you, it's different. So again, not. I think this is a good thing to remember for us when learning about the Enneagram. So like we don't fit in a box. And it's not, the Enneagram number is not a box. It's a spectrum, mm -hmm. right? I love the analogy of it's a color mm -hmm. along that color. So does that, is that a good answer to your question? Yeah, I mean, I think so. And that like, I like that there's always that clarification. Because a lot of people here are like, oh, like their deadly sin is avarice and like greed. Like, oh, wow, they, they want all the stuff in the world. I don't really know. Like, and you can ask my sister and my mom. And like, I don't like a lot of fancy things. You know, I've just never really kind of like been that person like to greedy, like hoard everything, you know? Right, right, right. And so I love the clarification that like the thing that fives love to hoard is knowledge <laughs> or like, like knowing things. Right. Not sharing, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Like, like gathering all this knowledge, retaining it and like keeping it like right here um, mm. and like not letting it out. Um, but for me, I, yeah, I've always been like an open book. And I, like I said before when we were talking um, that um, I'm an open book and not in the way that I'll run around to everyone and tell you my life story. But if you ask to read a chapter of my book, I will read you every word. Like I will not like shy away. I mean, sometimes, you know, there are things that need to be withheld. Um, and that's where that comes in. We're like, I don't know. I think for me, the greed of holding knowledge um, What's the point sometimes, I guess? Like, if this can benefit you because it's benefiting me, um, then why wouldn't I tell you? I mean, there are definitely moments where, you know, you want to keep the information because it'll give you, like, an, the upper hand or it'll um, help you 
be able to play the game a little bit better because you have a little bit more knowledge and like a, a, yeah, you're just ahead of the next person, I guess. Or like in a social social situation, if you can observe and see what's going on in the room and you can read the room, you could read how that person's feeling, how they feel after that, what that person said, you know, yeah. and you retain that knowledge. Um, it's, I feel like, to be able to see and to have that knowledge and like withhold it, it's what you do with it after. Like, do you use your powers for good or for evil? <laughs> you know, like you can see what's happening. Like if there's something, I, I'm thinking of a situation uh, that when we were at together, we were in a group together and there was someone who was feeling very poorly and um, all these people were paying attention to that person and like, trying to like comfort them and like saying all these things. And I was watching them and I'm like, that's not what they're upset about. And like, I could see like exactly what was happening. Like everyone thought it was a, but really it was Z and it was just like, okay, what do I do now? Kind of thing. Like Mm. I could not say anything and let this play out or I could say something really mean and like make it worse or I could say something and make it better. And in that sense, like I was withholding information because I didn't tell anybody else this, but I knew it was happening. And so it's like, okay, I'm withholding this. I'm being greedy with my information. What am I going to do about it now? Mm. And so I ended up trying to do something to diffuse it. And so that's like the whole using their powers for good (laughs) kind of thing. It's for the benefit of other people. Like sometimes you need someone in the situation in a social, social setting who sees what's happening. Um, and they they might be the only one, and sometimes it's, you need that one person to be able to diffuse a situation and like change the subject, and like take control and maneuver into safe grounds. Because if everyone knows what's happening, then it makes it weird, you know. But if it's like one person who's able to divert the tension or whatever, um, it's easier that way, you know. Like less tension I guess I don't know and if you can do it while you're unseen I was talking to Tanner about this actually this morning Tanner's really good at diffusing diffusing situations with no one knowing like it's just so simple and casual like oh like the flow yeah we naturally turned into this other thing and it's not that tense anymore and like I try to do that but people notice that I'm trying to change the subject you know and so she's better at it than I am that like she will do it and no one will notice like if you can diffuse tension and no one even realizes there's tension to be diffused at the first place, you did your job well. I'm not that good yet. <laughs> like I, people can still tell when I'm trying to diffuse tension. Um, yeah. But that's, yeah, it's something that I, I definitely want to work on because I think it's really cool. But for me, that's, that's the moment when I feel like I'm greedy with my knowledge mm-hmm. is when I'm trying to figure out what's going on in moments that, other people aren't trying to figure out what's going on just so I know like, okay, there's at least one person who is quote unquote in control of what's happening. Um, mm-hmm. so that we're not all just like, it's not just chaos. You know, there's yeah. someone who can see like everyone's cool checking in with everybody. And that's like me withholding information, but it's not because I'm greedy per se, you know, like, I don't know. At least that's my experience. Yeah. I don't know how this is for everyone, but I feel like that's how most fives are like gaining knowledge just for the sake of knowing so that when something comes up, they can do something about it. Mm -hmm. And then what the five does with it is 
the individual five's choice. Right. And I think what you're kind of saying is, we're going to move into this too, like the move of a healthy five is to learn how to share it in a beneficial way mm-hmm. rather than just knowing for the sake of knowing, yeah. right? For the sake of competency. Mm-hmm. So kind of touching onto that, I love how the Enneagram kind of shows a spectrum of what you could be at your best and what you could be at your worst. Absolutely. And we've talked a lot about yeah. some positive qualities. Can you just share some other things that maybe we haven't touched on, like positive or movements of a healthy five? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, I think the objectivity is, we talked a little bit about it, maybe more than a little bit, but I think that's really interesting. And I think that's such a huge asset, um, not just for other people, but for, like for ourselves. Yeah. Um, I don't like it sometimes because people will call me out and I'm like, (laughs) but then like, we call you out for what? Like if I like do something, um, or like, you know, like I'm not perfect. If they see a flaw in me and they're like, Hey, like, what about this? You know, you're going to be defensive and you're like, some people don't want to take it because like they don't want to hear it. But because there's that objective part of me, I see the truth in what they're saying. And it's like, Oh, I wish I could like ignore you. But like, I see the logic Uh. and I see, how you're right and I see how I can be better and like I can't ignore that and it's that it's not because I want to hear the bad things but because the objective side of me comes out and says hey they got a point and I have to contend with that yeah and that's really helpful I think that's a really good thing um a really good quality that a five has because it's hard to swallow those things but that mixed with their or are, (laughs) our um, desire to like contend with our fear of being incompetent, Mm. we have to take it. We have to take the criticism because that's what we do. Like it's more knowledge to be acquired. Even if it's personal knowledge that hurts us, it's still knowledge. Yeah, yeah. Um, So I think that's a really cool quality about a five. Um, I'm a five with a six wing. Um, and I know that we tend to be more extroverted from what I've read, uh, which is interesting um, because it's going to the brain center mm-hmm. rather than dipping over to the heart. But um, I think from my experience, a um, couple of fives that I know and how I feel and what I've been told and like fives are very loyal. Um, that's definitely something that I've countered within myself, <laughs> that we are very loyal to those we are loyal to. Yeah. If that makes sense. When they, um, when they gain that, right? Mm-hmm. That trust. Yeah. Loyalty, you'll give it. Yeah. Like it's there. Like we got it, homie. Like even if I don't like particularly feel as like we're on as great terms, I'm still like loyal to you in my heart. Like I, I said this somewhere, I don't remember where, but like, if you've ever been important to me in my life, you you probably still are. Like at any point in my life, like <laughs> if you've ever been important to me once, you still are today. Interesting. Um, maybe not in the same caliber. Yeah. But also it's definitely still there, like for sure. Um, and that's just not a part of me that like, I can't let that go, mm-hmm. which is like to my detriment sometimes. But I think it's like good to have that... Um, love and appreciation and respect for another human like that, that you still feel inclined to show loyalty towards them. And Mm -hmm. I think that's a good quality in fives as well. Awesome. And kind of talking about friends. um, So as you know, this podcast is called Our Faith Journey. And I like this title because as Christians, 
this journey of faith is not meant to be taken alone. So there are listeners out there who know someone in their lives who is a type five. So what is some advice you would give to someone who is in a relationship, friendship, family member, whatever, with a, with a type five? Uh, I'm going to turn this one back to you. <laughs> and Stop I want to, it to me. No, like this is what it's about, man. Yeah. It's, it's, and that's what I love about the, uh, the Enneagram because it tells you about who you might be. And it also yeah. tells you how you can grow into other things at your best, at your worst, and like learn how to relate to the other numbers and like grow into the other numbers. Uh-huh. And so like there are interactions that we have that we can see like, where the other person is coming from. And I think that's awesome and it's beautiful. And that's why I love the Enneagram. Um, but for you, like you're asking me like, oh, what's advice that you would give someone who's in relationship with a five? I'm the five in the relationship. You should be the one answering that question. What is it like? <laughs> like having a friendship with a five? What is advice that you give like to other person? Mm-hmm. Um, I would say not just with, you as a friend but i think other fives i think respect their space give yes. them their space <laughs> because fives have a limited amount of resources and they they know their limits right so when they want to withdraw give them that space to withdraw like um, there's but, a reason mm-hmm. for it that like they're not just being like, nah, leave me alone. I want space. It's like they're. It's not just on a whim. Like they thought about it. Like there's a reason behind. So. Yeah, and also I want to add to that one. Fives, I don't think make decisions rashly. They put a lot of thought mm-hmm. into it. They've 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 navigated. You've thought about. You've talked about this. Like you have this whole. What do you call it? The wormhole of thinking or whatever, <laughs> right? So. Um. When they say no, they'll probably not offer an explanation. <laughs> they usually <I> don't. <laughs> but just know that there is one and they, they probably won't share it and that's okay. But trust trust that they have a good reason. Yeah. Like I think that's something that, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Don't be afraid to ask because um, I think fives definitely need to be challenged to explain their thoughts because uh-huh. other people deserve it. But at the same time, if they don't offer, you should also respect that too and understand that like, it's coming from a place that makes sense to them. Yeah. And sometimes that has to be enough for you. For sure. I appreciate that. That's good advice. That's what I was going to say of like this whole space thing. But you got it, which means that you know. So like, that's awesome. Yay, me, yeah. Enneagram knowledge. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think one other thing I would say for people who are in a relationship or friendship with a five is um, uh, we have feelings. <laughs> don't oh. Don't bank on our... Uh, objectivity yeah objectivity and our um cognitiveness uh we have feelings too and um so that's something that uh me and andrew we would always say like oh like i'm calling upon objective andrew and and objective michelle you know when we have discussions about like hard things um but and there's some moments that he uh, (laughs) andrew would be like kind of frustrated because I wasn't being objective. I was being subjective because it was something that hurt me. And he's like, why aren't you being objective right now? And it's like, cause I'm sad, (laughs) you know, like, cause I have feelings, you know? And so that's something that I think anyone who has that relationship with a five, you have to remember that we, we aren't objective a hundred percent of the time. Like we 
have to be subjective because that's part of humanity. And like, there are those moments where like, you can't call it out of us because like, we just need to be sometimes and have our feelings and have our weaknesses. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, and it, it's, we will have those moments where we're not as cognitive as you think we should be or think we are like yeah. we definitely still have those feelings um that uh yeah you can't bank on us being like oh they're fine they'll think through it they're fine they're objective it's like no we we definitely still feel things and i think that's something that is really important for everyone to remember as they interact with a five yeah well that was very helpful thank you michelle yeah and uh <laughs> as we uh kind of wrap up this podcast and as we continue along our faith journey what is some last words of advice you would want a fellow five to hear i think a lot of it was said throughout this podcast but a huge portion of it is for me uh, i think the thing that gets me the most is how much i think um i posted on instagram my instagram story where it was like a question of like are you able to quiet your thoughts? Yeah, um, yeah. And it was like, yeah. And like, no, or like they're constantly going like there was nonstop. There a lot of no's, right? Yeah, there, it was like nonstop. There were way more no's than there were like, yeah, I know how to quiet them. And I was like, and I had the whole questions of like, oh, if you, if they are nonstop, are you happy when you're alone? And then if you can quiet them, how do you do it? Teach me. <laughs> and I got some really interesting responses. I really appreciated that. Um, but I think for a five advice or something I would say to us is, and I have to say it to myself, um, it's okay if your thoughts keep going because the moments where I get the most frustrated with myself is when I'm frustrated with myself for thinking too much. And like, Mm. just like I'm frustrated that I'm in my own brain and then I get in my own brain about being in my own brain. And then it just like makes me so unhappy. And it's like, I don't know if that's being a five or if it's being metacognizant or if it's just thinking a lot. Um, but those can get in the way of me feeling sometimes. And then I get really frustrated. Like sometimes I just wish I could feel like a normal person and not think my way through it. But, Interesting. and when I get frustrated my, myself for thinking about feeling that makes me feel worse. And then I think more about thinking about feeling this new thing and it's just like a downward spiral so I guess my advice is if you feel things and then you think about them go with it just sit in it go with that flow go with that train of thought like Mm -hmm. wherever it is because earlier today I was sitting at Starbucks alone and I was thinking about the Enneagram and like these questions Mm -hmm. and I thought about I just sat there in silence staring at the window I probably looked crazy <laughs> to everyone walking by I was literally there for probably like 40 minutes just sitting by myself staring at the window not saying a word That's and I was just incredible. thinking and I was so happy and at the end when I had f- answered all the questions I just smiled to myself and I thought that was fun I said it's fun to be alone and think when you have good things to think about and then I was like I'm happy right now and then I thought am I happy right I am happy right now yeah I am I feel happy I should think about being happy. No, 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 no. Don't think about being happy. No, stop. It's fine. Just sit in it, Michelle. <laughs> like literally that, that was the thought process. Staring up in the sky and the trees and the that wind. Is like so interesting. That is like literally how it was. And I had to like literally shake myself 
and just be like, no, I'm just going to sit here and I'm not going to think, but I am going to think because that's how I am, but I'm just going to feel and live in this moment. And that was okay. And that was good because I chose like, yeah, I chose that this is good. Yeah. And I just left it at that. Obviously my thoughts kept going, but I decided overall that moment was a good one. Mm. And I think, um, if you're always thinking it's easy to second guess yourself, but sometimes you just got to choose one thing and go with it. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's, that's cool about being a five that it's helpful mm. and, and the whole objectivity thing of like allowing yourself. Cause sometimes I feel like I take pride in being able to say I'm objective as like a five, like, Oh yeah, that's the thing. I'm objective. And then when I'm not, I'm like, Oh, I suck. I'm not objective. It's like, no, you're allowed to, yeah, you're allowed to not be objective for once. Like, are you kidding me? Like we're not robots, you know, we're human beings, normal human beings. And so like we're allowed (laughs) to feel things and not be objective. So yes, allow yourself to, not be the smartest person in the room. Allow yourself to not be objective. Allow yourself to be in your thoughts and be in your head and allow yourself to withhold information if you know that's what the best thing Mm. is. Because people will question you why you didn't say something. But ultimately, you have to trust yourself and trust that you did it for a good reason. Mm. I hear a lot of things of balance. Yep. And I also hear a lot of things of valuing who you are, right? And the Enneagram is awesome in that each number brings different skills and different personality traits to the table. And that's the unique individual that I believe God has implanted in you. So yeah, to all you fives out there, you're awesome. You're awesome. You are a worthy five. You deserve to be a five. Because that's something. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yes, you do. So if you doubt it, that's a very five thing to do. Don't listen to it. I'm telling you, you golden. <laughs> yes. Michelle, thank you so much. This was this is great. That was, I think dude, talking so to a five <laughs> is so helpful because you read books and it's like, that's interesting. But when you talk to people, and I think I want to commend you because I see a lot of growth in you as a five. Uh, uh, they say that fives in their best spaces operate like eights. So I can totally see that right now. Really? Yeah. That so, is cool. Um, kudos to you and thank you again for being a part of the podcast thank you for having me like seriously it was so happy when you texted me like this is so much fun and you're dope and it's easy to talk to you so really appreciate you having me come here hey i gotta be honest talking with michelle leong was so much fun when i finished the recording i couldn't believe our conversations spanned an hour you know they say time flies when you're having fun so michelle thanks again for being a part of the podcast Hey, I also realized this conversation may not have addressed some questions you may have about type fives. So please do not hesitate to reach out to me on Facebook or Instagram at our faith journey podcast or an email at our faith journey podcast at gmail.com. I'll be more than happy to hear your thoughts and questions regarding this episode or anything in general. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode, I really encourage you to subscribe or follow the show so that you can receive new episodes every week. And also, if you're on Apple Podcasts, I'd really appreciate it if you left a rating and review for the show. They really help in spreading the word about the show on the podcast community. Hey, and if you know someone who might be a Type 5, I really encourage you to send this podcast to them. You know, I found a lot of benefits learning about other Enneagram numbers when I listen about 
their stories and their experiences, you know? So maybe this conversation could be helpful to your type five friend. Next week, we continue our series on the Enneagram by diving into our type six friends, the loyalists. I didn't really have close type six friends when I recorded this episode in about uh, September, August, but now having been in Malaysia for almost six months, I've gotten closer to a few type sixes and sixes are amazing. As their nickname suggests, they are very loyal, supportive, and consistent people. So I'm so excited for you to hear my conversation with Christy about her experience as a type six next week. Hey, as always, remember the words of the great Beth Moore. To God, our journey is just as important as our destination. God bless and see you next